This is the Alpha Universe Podcast. I'm Christopher Robinson, editor of alphauniverse.com. And in today's show, I'm speaking with landscape and sports photographer, Don Smith, about his experiences with the A7R III in the field. In Tech Talk, Sony's LD Nadia explains how pixel shift technology works in the A7R III. Then we get some do this now tips from Don Smith about how to break out of a creative rut. Don Smith's career spans more than four decades. Today, he's widely known as a successful and inspiring landscape photographer, but for some 40 years, he was primarily a pro sports shooter. Working for Sports Illustrated in its heyday, Smith honed his skills shooting fast action with film and manual focus lenses. Landscape photography was never far from his heart, however, and when he saw where the professional sports photography world was headed, Smith made a plan to become a full-time landscape shooter. We had a chance to speak outside of the studio amid the stunning vistas of the desert southwest where Smith was shooting with the A7R III. Thanks for joining us today, Don. Thanks, Chris. Nice to be here. We've been spending a couple of days here shooting with the brand new A7R Mark III. This has been your first chance to use the camera. What are your impressions so far as a landscape photographer? Um, oh, wow. Uh, I'm loving what I'm seeing in the files. I was at a hockey game Saturday night in San Jose and was test shooting it in JPEG mode and forgot to take it out of JPEG. Got about four hours of sleep, flew to Phoenix and drove up here and we shot sunset Sunday night. When I got back to the room, I realized I shot everything in JPEG. And I said, well, okay, let's take a look at these files. <laughs> and right off the bat, I was just amazed at the quality of the image file that I was seeing. And this is, a, this is in a JPEG mode. Yeah. So I've now, yesterday, did a lot of shooting with it all in RAW mode. Very impressed with the cameras so far. It's interesting you say that because prior to the camera's introduction, I had been speaking with another artisan, Chris Burkhardt, who had been using the camera for some shoots through the Desert Southwest and talked about how the image quality in the A7R three was so much different and so much better to their eye than the A7R two, which was already known for having excellent image quality. Yeah. What was interesting to me was this is the same sensor. But, a, you know, a new camera. So, you know, what's going on there that we're getting such better image quality? Well, it's, it's the same sensor, but all the insides have changed. The new processor, there's new circuitry, new design. But it's really going to come to the point we're nearing human vision with these sensors now. We're getting really, really close to what our eyes are seeing. Um, and that's, I think, for most professional landscape photographers, that's what attracted them to this camera right off the bat. They had never seen dynamic range that we were seeing in this camera sensor. Yes, it is the same sensor, but it's everything that's inside that's feeding that signal to that sensor that has been improved. What lenses have you been using with the A7R three? Oh, I've been testing. I've got the 12 to 24, um, 2470 G Master, the 100 to 400 and 90 macro lens. Everything I'm seeing is just absolutely amazing okay. uh, coming off this camera. I've fallen in love with that 12 to 24 millimeter lens. I'm kind of known as more of a telephoto landscape shooter. I really like seeing scenes and isolating them tight. And that's why I love the 100-400 when that came out. And now I've gotten the 12 to 24. It's so fun to go back to locations that we have shot repetitively on workshops. And as everybody in our group starts to get busy, that's usually the first lens I'll grab. And I get to see a scene so much differently now yeah. than I've seen in the past. It doesn't seem like a lot from 16 millimeter to 12, but it is, it is a huge difference as to what you can do with foreground objects. I mean, technology is just moving at such a rapid pace and Sony's 
to me, is just leading the pack. Our engineers, I, I can't say enough good things about them. And they really listen to the pro's needs. It's coming from an artisan side. Um, you know, it's really nice that we have input and then we see them go away and actually try to design what we've talked to them about designing. Yeah. Yeah. So we're really excited when the new products come out. We're like kids in a candy store. It's a team of engineers. They were asking the questions, taking copious notes, spreadsheets. Um, if they didn't understand where we were going, they asked us to re-explain it, why it was important to us. Uh, and then their job was to go back to Tokyo and try to build this. With my three-plus years being involved in the artisan program, they really put the emphasis on what the pros need, and that's a big part of why we're on the artisan program, to give that feedback. And being an artisan, I, I get asked all the time, yeah. daily, daily, what's coming down the pipe. And I, some I know, but a lot I don't, you know, which is rightfully so. I think oh, that's, sure. that's true with any tech company. Yeah. A lot of the uh, people listening to this podcast know you as a landscape photographer, but they don't know that you're a, a longtime professional sports photographer and are, are being called on to consult on, on cameras and lenses for Sony in that capacity. Yeah, it's really fun. I've been in the business 40 years now. I made the joke the other night. I said, yeah, I've been a pro for 40 years, and I started my career at two years old. <laughs> we're, we're starting to get up there. But I, I started back in the newspaper days, found out this was pre-autofocus, pre-anything. These were just, you know, the standard cameras, aperture, shutter, ISO, and you're trying to manually focus NFL games and Major League Baseball games with 600 and 400 lenses. You either had that hand-eye coordination or you didn't. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, I was blessed with it. It was nothing I could go out and develop. It was just a gift that was handed to me. I worked as a contract photographer for Sports Illustrated for seven years. And that was where I really thought I wanted to end up. Uh, but then I started having a young family. And your priorities change. You don't want to be hopping on an airplane every week going somewhere when you're trying to raise young kids. It keeps my schedule really hopping. <laughs> and I have a very understanding wife who has supported me the whole way. <laughs> yeah, behind every great photographer, there's a very understanding yeah. spouse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, true. And she is. Uh, her name's Barry. And, and I, you really cannot do this type of business and travel the amount that we have to travel uh, without somebody stepping back from their wants and needs and saying, I'm going to support you 100% on that. And then yeah. she's done that for me. Yeah. Notwithstanding um, your recent love of the 1224, yeah. you were mentioning that you've done a lot with telephoto. And, and I think for a lot of people, telephoto is not what they think of with landscape. Yeah. The two don't go together. It's, it's wide and ultra wide in landscape. What is it about telephoto and, and landscape that works for you? Yeah, I think what I like about uh, the telephotos, I really like isolating portions of the landscape. Um, not to say I don't shoot the Grand Vista and I'm only doing um, intimate scenes. That, that's, you know, nothing further from the truth. But I've, I've seen over the years with my own imagery and teaching workshops for 12 years where pictures start to lose their continuity with the viewer, I believe, is when they become too chaotic. And what I mean by that is we all start out, we see something that attracts us. I call it the wow moment. You know, there's some sort of an attraction. It's either light or subject or for me, it's light. It's, it's strictly light, and then I'll find the subject. Once I find that, then I start to build a composition around it. And what I see typically happen, and it happens to me, and I have to constantly stop myself, is I'll go, okay, I'm looking at these beautiful red rocks. So I'll have the, the viewers kind of envision this, and the light striking them very nicely now. We have soft light out here. But if I, if I put a frame around that, and then suddenly over in the corner of my eye, I see another little spire sticking up that wasn't originally in my sight. 
it's human nature to go, oh, I'm going to include that. That's nice. And before we know it, we even include a two, three, four more elements to that scene that starts to convolute the message of what we're trying to get across in that original composition. And so seeing the landscape tight uh, is, is a way that I can convey to the viewer exactly my connection to that scene, that I'm seeing that emotional response, that why I pointed the camera there. And you're never going to get 100% of the people getting that same emotional response. But that's kind of a, the fun of it for me. Hey, I want to share this with you. I've seen this. You know, holy cow, this is what got me to look up there, and this is pretty cool. Um, now, when we back off to doing, I, I got the 12 to 24 lens in my hands, and because I was so much shooting on a telephoto scale, or even, you know, I had the 1635, but to go from 16 millimeter and be able to open up a foreground down to 12 millimeter, I know that that doesn't sound like a lot, but in landscape, it's huge. It is really huge. I think the key we can take away from this and the, and the viewer or the listeners, excuse me, is if you find yourself getting stuck with one lens or one zoom lens and you're doing 90% of your work, force yourself to go out with something different where you feel out of your comfort range and make pictures, find scenes that you can make pictures with these lenses. Mm -hmm. And it's gonna expand you more as an artist and a photographer to see the world differently. You can find links to Don Smith's website and see how to sign up for his workshops in the show notes at alphauniverse.com. Don will be back later in the program to give us some tips for a problem we've all gone through at one time or another, breaking out of a creative rut. When it was introduced, among the new features of the A7R 3 that got a lot of attention was the pixel shift technology. In today's Tech Talk, Sony's LD Nadia joins us to explain what it is and how it works. We're here today with LD Nadia of Sony. And LD, thanks very much for joining us today. Chris, thanks for having me again. L, I want to ask about some of the technology in the new camera. One thing that's been talked about quite a bit is the pixel shift technology. What is it and, and how does it work? Why is it important? So pixel shift super resolution is something that's not new to the industry. It is new to Sony. There are other companies who utilize similar technology and it's really based on cameras that have the five axis in-body image stabilization. So other cameras utilize it to increase the resolution. You know, they'll take, for instance, a 20 megapixel and they'll take four images and it'll become a 80 megapixel image just to have a larger image. We do it slightly differently. Our goal is to have a, you know, the highest quality image possible, the highest resolution image possible. And if you think that this camera's got 42.4 million pixels on it, the camera is able to take an image and then shift the sensor by one pixel, take another image, shift it by one more pixel, take another image, and it does that four times. So it'll take four consecutive images by shifting the, uh, the sensor one pixel at a time. And what that does is that if you have a look at the structure of a Bayer uh, CMOS sensor, um, essentially each pixel is its own color. So, and it's a combination of greens, reds, and blues. And it's usually, you know, green, green, red, green, green, red. Next line would be, you know, blue, green, green, blue, green, etc. So it staggers the, the colors on the sensor. Now what happens in pretty much every CMOS sensor in the world, the data that comes off that, the pixels are so close together that the data that comes off that, the camera during processing 
we'll do interpolation. So that analog to digital image comes off. Basically, color hits the or, or light hits the sensor. It reads the amount of light on each pixel, and it'll then charge how much green, how much red, how much blue is on each pixel. That data then gets pushed through to the image processor. The image processor converts that data into an image by interpolating that if this pixel was slightly green and the one next to it was slightly more blue but the one on the other side was much redder then it'll interpolate and guess what the color should be in that particular pixel and make it not green not red so what happens in interpolation in almost every other sensor is you lose a slight bit of resolution now when you have a look at you know uh, images that have come off you know sony cameras up until now even the a7r mark ii they outstanding i mean they're really incredibly high resolution very accurate color uh, reproduction what the pixel shift super resolution does is it'll take an image and then it'll shift the sensor over by one pixel so if you have a green pixel being captured and then it shifts it over and it captures the blue pixel and it'll shift it again it'll capture another green pixel and it'll shift it in the other direction and it'll capture a red pixel that means that every single pixel gets four colors onto it you know usually two green one red one blue and the quantity of light that hits that would be uh, you know what, what it actually captures that means the camera gets an absolute accurate representation of exactly what that pixel color should be and there's no interpolation and there's no loss in resolution whatsoever so you get a hundred percent accurate color and you also get a hundred percent accurate resolution there's a caveat to this though because we're shifting one pixel uh, at a time and these are in you know you know think about 42 million pixels on the sensor it's an incredibly small shift so this can't be done handheld plus your subject can't be moving so this has really got limited uh, usage when it comes to majority of photographers but if you have a look at the other photographers that would use this you'd want to put it on a tripod you'd probably not want to use the shutter button although if you put the timer on it'll probably work the new camera has a new shutter mechanism, which has got a uh, enhanced brake system, which means that it actually stops without any shutter vibration. So, and the camera doesn't have a mirror in it. Um, mirrored cameras experience a tremendous amount of uh, mirror shock. So DSLRs actually experience mirror shock. So being a mirrorless camera with this new shutter mechanism, it's extremely stable when it actually takes an image. So if you have it on a tripod and you uh, either use the timer or you use a remote trigger to trigger the image, let the camera do its four images and then capture that data. You then take that data into supplied software and it combines those four images and you get an absolutely incredible image. Is that final image 160 some megabytes or has it been now in the software brought back down to a 42? So what happens is that you get a uh, the combined four images 169 megabyte file and then once you bring it into the software and it uh, does its processing of the four images together that basically it layers the four images over each other and processes them uh, as a layered image it brings it back down to the original 42 megapixels. So we're not expanding the size of the image. What we're doing is we're enhancing the end result of the 42 megapixel image. But like I said, you get an extremely accurate, extremely sharp original image, which is amazing. So you, you may ask, what are the use cases for this? Um, you what know, are the use cases for this? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> so uh, 
You know, architecture for sure, product photography. If you are shooting landscapes, you know, you, you have to make sure that there's no wind that, you know, trees and stuff are, that are going to be moving because, you know, even shifting a minute bit, it's going to move out of the frame. And, and you may get slightly fuzzier images there because you're going to be getting, uh, you know, movement in the four images. So, you know, it's really got that use case, I think, uh, you know, certainly architecture, certainly product photography. And I'm sure people are going to come up with some other you know, really creative uh, shooting. I know a lot of macro images could could really be enhanced with uh, with this technology. Thanks very much for clearing that up, Aldean. Great, thanks, Chris. You can submit your questions to the Sony team. Go to the podcast show notes at alphauniverse.com to see how to contact us. Every photographer has gone through creative ups and downs in their time behind the camera. Don Smith joins us again with some Do This Now tips for breaking out of a lull. And we're back with Don Smith, Sony Artisan of Imagery and Landscape Photographer. And Don, I want to talk about a a Do This Now topic that we can uh, offer up to our landscape photographers, especially for someone who may be feeling a little bit um, creatively stifled. I think this really happens to a lot of landscape photographers. You get into a little bit of a rut, a little bit of a trophy hunting rut. You start seeing a lot of the same pictures and you start taking a lot of the same pictures. Um, you do a lot of different things. You get a lot of different and unique angles and perspectives. What do you suggest for people to really mix it up? I notice a lot of people, and especially through our workshops and other professionals I know, and they get comfortable with a lens or two. In fact, one of the biggest questions I get asked on a workshop when we go out to leave what lens do I bring? (laughs) And I just, the standard answer is you bring them all. You can shoot these scenes from wide, wide to telephoto. You're the artist. And if you're, we're not going out to just capture a scene. We're, We're going out to capture that emotion connection that I'm talking about. And I can't find the same emotion that you could find or another photographer can find. I always tell people, if you're starting out shooting telephoto, you finish that shoot wide angle. If you start out shooting at horizontal, you flip that camera around and you find something vertical. Mix it up. Just really mix it up. I I think that for photography in general. I just went on a trip to Namibia, a a scouting trip for an upcoming workshop, where we broke the workshop down. I'm working with a couple local photographers over there, and they know the area very well. It's not all landscape. We're going to be shooting, in fact, one place we went, Kolmanskop, I believe is how it's pronounced. It's German. Is an old ghost town where the mining industry was, uh, where sand dunes have come into the building. And you really shoot it during the day when the light's harsh. And I'm thinking, okay, this really isn't my cup of tea. They couldn't pull me out of there. I got in there. I got into doing it. It was something brand new for me. Then the wildlife. We got up in the northern part, up in the Tosha area. And I never really considered myself much of a, a wildlife shooter, which is funny because I love to shoot sports. And shooting the various uh, wildlife was 10 feet from two adult male cheetahs as they were eating. Uh, they were supposedly tame. <laughs> I trusted their trainer. <laughs> but, um, to, you know, to, 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 uh, from somebody coming from California, and two days later, you're standing 10 feet in a wide open area with two adult male cheetahs. Uh-huh. I can tell you my heart was pounding <laughs> and it was a lot of trust. But get out of your comfort level. If you've never done portraiture, try to try to do some portraiture, um, even if it's not your thing. You know, don't build, build a wall around yourself artistically and you're going to grow as a photographer because a lot of that's going to come back and feed in to what you do love. Yeah. 
You know, and it's funny as we're as we're sitting here talking, something that the listeners can't fully uh, appreciate is, um, you know, you and I have both been doing this for for a while. We're not especially young photographers. Yeah. I've had so many young guys come to me over the years and say, "What do I really need to make it as a professional photographer?" And I give them one simple answer: passion. I could teach you everything you need to know about a camera. I can teach you as much as I can teach you about vision and composition and reading light, but I can't put that passion inside of you. And when I work around these pro athletes, we talk a lot of times, and that's the number one thing they will tell me. There's that passion that keeps me getting up every morning. We were leading a night shoot last night here. It was really getting cold. We had an astronomer on hand with two big telescopes. And towards the end, we, we turned around and we realized we lost all the group. Everybody was already long gone. And we stayed out even longer, even though we were all freezing. I think that's the type of thing, if you don't have the passion to create and want to put up with the discomfort of uh, what you may go out with weather-wise, getting up very early in the morning, and I don't know, I've been really blessed that this, this passion has never left me. Well, Don, thanks so much for being my guest today on the show. It's really a pleasure to talk to you. Oh, you too, Chris, and thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to the Alpha Universe podcast. You can find the show notes for this episode at alphauniverse.com. Subscribe to the Alpha Universe podcast at iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts.